Okay, sorry, let's get started. As you guys know, we, because Alex said, we are in a series called Abundant Valley. We're at the beginning of it. It's been so amazing. This is part three. Um, the first part of this series, we, it was an honor to have a guest, Jamie Winship. How many of you were here for him? Jamie did his thing, Pijaja, right? Okay, and then listen to the podcast. And then the second part of the series, we had Mr. Alex Rettman teach, and I loved, he gave us like a 30,000 foot view of just a fresh theology of work, of vocation, calling. What I loved about his message, one thing that stood out was he, when he talked about the garden, when he said that God created all of that for us to rule and reign, that he, it wasn't just a God that, that created like a mess, and then here you go. But actually, he gave us dignity. He gave us identity, and so I was really encouraged by that from Alex. Now, today, I'm really excited because I'm going to now get a little personal with you guys. We're going to talk about the title of my message, if you're taking notes, is Dreaming with God. Dreaming with God. We're going to talk about dreaming with God. We're going to talk about very practical things. We're going to talk about dreaming with God. We're going to talk about courage. We're going to talk about discouragement. We're going to talk about how we're going to, as believers, how we thrive in the process of dreaming and our vocation and our calling, what we feel called to do. So before we get into it, I think in regards to dreaming with God and getting fresh dreams with God, I love to start by talking about the goodness of God. That I, I know that the, something we say around here is that God is good, the goodness of God is, should be and is the cornerstone of all theology. I have found that a lot of what we think about Jesus, the, the things that we do, the choices that we make, can actually be boiled down to whether we believe God is good or that he is not. So let's start actually just right off the bat reading some scriptures. We're going to go through these. These are all about God's goodness, so hopefully these make you happy. They're going to make me happy. Here we go. Romans 8, 28, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Next slide. Psalms 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Next slide. Psalm 31, 19, how abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. I think we have another. I think we have a lot more, actually. Here we go. Psalm 107.1, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Next slide. Nahum 1.7. That's a book in the Bible. <laughs> the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. Do we have one more? James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, I like that, who does not change like shifting shadows. I think that's it for now, right? Oh, the best of all. Here we go, Jeremiah 29.11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So good. I was encouraged. God is good. So like how I said, God is good. What we just read, the goodness of God is the cornerstone of all theology. It's what we believe. I've also found as humans that the goodness of God is one of the biggest belief systems that the enemy fully goes after. He knows if I don't believe that God is good, then I will actually become Lord of my life. So let me explain what I mean by that. Alex kind of touched on it last week, but it's what we saw in the garden. The first thing the enemy goes after, I believe, is the belief that God is good. He goes after and questions God's character. He says, did God actually say, or even says, you will surely not die. So maybe paraphrasing a bit, but essentially he's saying, can you really trust God? He's not that good. 
and even maybe points him out to be a liar, liar, you won't die, right? And then what happens next is Adam and Eve take on their own lordship. They move into isolation, and ultimately, if you will, they get discouraged with their circumstance, then in a moment question his goodness, and then act on it, which I would say moves them into governing their own life. They then think and truly know in that process what the creation was created for instead of realizing and maybe having some type of dialogue like this. Wait, we know who the creator is. All he wants from us is intimacy. He created us to enjoy his creation. And since he's God, he probably knows the best plan, the best blueprint for his creation. So we should just focus on this intimacy thing and trust that his governing plan and lordship will play out amazingly through our life because he's good. That's the way we should think, amen? So guys, God is good. It's who he is. It's his nature. This is important to point out because his goodness is not just something that he chooses to be. It's not just something that we twist his arm to, to, I hope he's good today, and I hope through my actions he will be good. It's his nature. It's who he is. It's not something that we happen to see. It's not something that we can catch him on a good day doing. No, it's who he is. He doesn't change, and he's good. So to bring this point a little bit more personal, what I've seen in my life and other believers and friends is that the goodness of God is always put on trial and questioned when life happens differently than we thought. Through circumstances we don't like when we focus on, quote, maybe our stuff more than the kingdom, and I truly think it's a scheme from the enemy. So let's get real for a second. So the healing doesn't come. Maybe the dream that you have, the, the calling you feel like you have, the job that you desperately are working for, and unfortunately you don't get it. See, through the ups and downs of life, we have the opportunity to choose his goodness or to not. To believe that his promises over your life will come to pass. See, if the, see, if the Father spoke it over your life, then it means that it's true. That he has a plan to see it through, and the key for us in the, in the midst of us dreaming with God is to trust in his timing. So now to talk about God dreams, a lot of times when we get in his presence and he starts speaking over us these dreams over our lives, it's a vehicle to start showing his nature and his goodness. See, getting a God dream in our life, I have found, is the closer that we get to God, he actually starts speaking things over us. I don't know if it's ever happened to you. Maybe you start in worship or maybe you're reading the word. You start getting these ideas about your life. Maybe it's a business idea, a new, just some new direction for your life. He starts giving you big dreams. And a lot of times he speaks something big on what feels like this big. And you're like, how are we going to get there? But just like how Jeremiah 29, 11 says, is he has plans for you to prosper. And he starts speaking big things, and you're like, oh my gosh, you have that in store for me? It's that good? It's that big? Right? And we actually saw this in the disciples at certain times, right? The longer they hung out with Jesus, the more confidence they had about themselves. We even read about them fighting over who's the greatest, right? So get this. It's because when you hang out with Jesus, you become a bigger person with bigger dreams, can I get an amen? <laughs> In the best way, you become a bigger person with bigger dreams. Now, to fully discuss dreaming, I'd actually like to talk about, next slide, gardening. Okay, I'm about to get real cheesy pastor metaphor on you. Some cheese sauce is coming. So if you are lactose intolerant, take your medicine now. Stupid. Won't say it again. Okay, gardening. 
God has created us all to be dreamers, and when you start hosting his presence (laughs) and seeking him, the Lord actually starts planting seeds in your heart, dreams that are seeds. And I have found over the years that Jesus is a master gardener. He loves to prune. He loves rich soil. He loves to to plant his dreams. You catch that? His dreams, his plans for you. So even think with me for a second. You're just loving the Lord. You're worshiping. You're spending time with the Father. And then you get a dream or a seed in your heart. And most of the time, and I'm guilty of this, is immediately we get this dream And we immediately put a picture on what it's going to look like. We attach a timeline. We start planning every step of the way. I've done this multiple times. And I'm not saying that this is bad in nature. Getting excited, co-laboring with him. We'll talk about that more later. And dreaming is awesome. But I also bring it up because I know a lot of times I've done a lot of planning without him. Yikes. It's like not good. It's like I'm going after him and then he gives me a dream. And I'm like, okay, I got my nugget. And now I'm going to go do my thing. And how many of you know that in his goodness, when he gives a dream, a lot of times we forget where it came from. We forget that it was his plan. And like how I said, we start running off doing our own thing. Here's what we need to know. If he gives you a seed and a dream for your life, it means that it's because he found really good soil in your heart. So he plants a dream. And most of the time we start focusing, we stop focusing on the soil and we start focusing on the seed. See, very similar to gardening, the Bible also talks about pottery, how we're the clay and he's the potter, right? So he's molding us with his voice. He's molding us with his dreams. He's molding us, and we are called to be the clay to surrender. So he plants a seed, and a lot of times, like how I said, we get this picture, and you're like, okay, I want, in the future, I want these people in it. I for sure, definitely, these people have been in my last season, don't want them in it. Um, I want to really be planted there. I really don't want to be planted here right? I I need to have A, B, and C in my dream, and you start focusing on your dream. I want this type of house. I want this type of, and that's, that's good in nature, but it can be very me, 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 right? But then life starts to happen, and the timeline starts to not line up on our dreams sometimes, and then cue stage left. Next slide. Discouragement. Discouragement, which ultimately leads to question God's goodness. So it sounds like a scheme from the enemy, right? It's what Satan's been trying to do since the garden. And even though it sounds intense, get this, the, the enemy knows that if he can get you focused on yourself to be self-righteous and only have you think about your plan, your timeline, your dream, your big career, your fame, he actually then knows that you will get discouraged. And he once knows that if he takes your courage, you will question the Lord's goodness. But guys, that's not the gospel as we know. Jesus said, it sounds a little intense. If you get to know me, I'm kind of intense. I promise I make jokes. But the gospel is, Jesus said, come and die and follow me. Right? So he's saying that he has a blueprint for, hey, you come to me. Pick up your cross and follow me. And you're about to have the best life that you've ever had. It's good news. So simply put, our job is to maintain healthy soil to stay encouraged in his presence and have faith and believe in his goodness through every circumstance, to really go after his heart and not focus on self-promotion, our big idea, but really to surrender those things to him. Amen? If you look at some of the greats in, in the scriptures, God gave them a seed or a dream, and it actually took years and years for that seed to come to pass. See, it's about continually pursuing the Lord and thriving in the process. See, it's very simple, but a good reminder for me. Next slide. Here we go. We are not in pursuit of a dream. 
we are in pursuit of Jesus. I'll say it again, so simple. And I'm looking up here because I can see the slide. Sorry, I don't know if any of you guys are like, whoa, how's he, whatever. Okay, in my head, Jake, focus, Holy Spirit, correction. Okay, we are not in pursuit of a dream. We are in pursuit of Jesus. Oftentimes when I've been discouraged, or maybe I ask someone how, you're, how they're doing and they're discouraged, or even if someone asks me why I'm discouraged, a lot of times I have found it's because something is not happening, right? Well, based on what that slide said, I would argue it's like, well, what are you in pursuit of? Jesus and his plan, the goodness of your life? Because if you're in pursuit of Jesus, well, he's always with you. He's always good. We're constantly growing in our revelation with him, growing in worship, growing in the gifts, so most of the time I found in my life and other believers that you're actually not discouraged with your relationship with Jesus, but you're actually more so discouraged because something isn't happening quick enough or something isn't happening big enough. So once again, we are not in pursuit of a dream, but in pursuit of Jesus. So quickly, back to gardening, I want to ask this question. What makes good soil for dreams? Well... A lot of things, and through my little nerdy research, and this always happens, there's going to be some master gardener after this went wrong, but this is what I found about gardening, okay? <laughs> what really stood out was what makes good soil is water and air quality of the soil. And some of the most ideal soil is a mixture of, yes, the water and air, and get this, it is also a mixture of dead matter from the, the earth. And so, to get more cheesy here... So us in worship, our quiet time with God, or really anywhere, we're going to look for moments in dreaming with God where we die to ourselves. Where we die to ourselves, we die to any, we, we practice picking up our cross and following him, where we kill any selfish desire or sin that tries to be Lord in our life. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about those ingredients, water, air, and dead matter, if you will. So next slide, water, a lot of times in the scriptures, water equals Holy Spirit. So let's read some more scriptures here. Next slide. So Isaiah 58, 11 says, The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Next slide. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And now moving on, air. Air, a lot of times in the scriptures, is his breath or his voice. So here we go. Next, next slide. All scripture is God-breathed and he's useful. I love this. He's useful because he's just so good that he would do this. God-breathed is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It's good. Next slide. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Proverbs 4, 20 through 22. So guys, let's be the people that tend to ourselves, that we just don't just focus on our dreams, our gifts, and we don't make the seed our dreams, but we make the, the Lord of our life our dreams. And let's focus on the soil of our heart that's good for planting, and we are, we are formed by his spirit, so water, and his voice. Now, I mentioned a bit ago, I want to talk a bit about courage and discouragement. I found with those two things, they determine whether we are filled with the Spirit and shaped by His voice, or we are moved by our feelings and what happens in life. So, some thoughts on courage. Next slide. 
Apart from courage, we cannot move forward in the dreams God has for our life. The goal of the believer is to keep your courage when life speaks loud. So what do you do when the sense of discouragement is coming? Well, let's ask these questions. Next slide. How do we position our life to live encouraged? Because, guys, when I was writing this message, I, I just got the thought again. It's, it's just too, I don't know about you. I'm going to be real for a second. Life's kind of, like, busy, and there's a lot of things tugging. And it's like it's now more than ever, it's just too costly to live discouraged. Amen? And it's very easy to, because in the midst, especially in this series and talking about our calling, and I think for this valley, now is the best time for the church to rise up and know who they are, to go after revival, to go after business ideas, to go after changing things in the community. And I feel like engaging in the calling, not just know about it, but engage into it. Because when we get discouraged, how many of you know we don't dream like how we used to? We feel farther from God. We stop taking risks. We get alone. We move into isolation. So I want to talk about how do I position myself where I know how to find courage and courage knows how to find me. So two simple things on how to live in courage. Next slide. The default mode of our life has to be waiting on the Lord. Do we have a next slide here? Psalms 27. Here we go. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. <laughs> so waiting on him looks like getting in his presence and encountering him. When I do this, his presence always fills me and his voice begins to speak to me. And when he comes close to us, how many of you know it comes with courage? You feel alive. You feel like you're ready to take on something new. Our cry should be hear his good voice. Next slide, Psalm 28. To you, Lord, I call. You are my rock. Do not turn a deaf ear to me. For if you remain silent, I will be like those who go down to the pit. Sounds smelly. Okay. This is huge for us because if we're going to avoid the pit of discouragement, we have to have him speak to us. We have to wait in his presence. His voice speaks and his presence fills us and it always is partnered with courage. So guys, let's be a people that when we feel discouragement try and rise up, when we feel tugged, may we run to his presence and wait on him until courage comes. Because here's some good news for you guys. Discouragement cannot follow us into the presence of God. One phrase that we say a lot, next slide, is there are things in the presence of God that thrive and things in the presence of God that die. Some things get oxygen and others suffocate and die. Some more good news for you. Hopelessness can't follow us into the presence of God. Selfishness cannot follow us into the presence of God. But how many of you know when you're in the presence of God, hope, life, courage, patience, power, all begin to thrive. So again, our default mode is waiting in his presence. To get practical with this, and I have to remind myself all the time, is that this is... I know we don't like the R word sometimes, responsibility. This is our responsibility. As children, as children of God, it's our responsibility, right? Because we know that God is always available. He's always there. He's faithful and he's always there. But it's our choice to be able to get into his presence and say, we're going to fight for courage. We're going to fight for good dreams. We're going to fight to run this race hard. When we get in his presence, we actually get a clearer revelation of who he is, a much clearer revelation on what he wants to do with us and through us. See, if we don't run to him for courage, I've found that I'm a lot more anxious about my dreams. I start to plan my dreams, like I was saying, without him, without him in mind. And I always plan the future in deficit, in discouragement. It's just not okay place to live. 
Now, real fun, quick story time for you guys. There's a period of time in my life where Becky, my wife, is back there. Love you, babe. Um, there's a period of time where we were, uh, I have two little cousins, and there's a period of time where we were like nannying them a lot. And God, in this message, he gave me this little, he brought this story back to mind. But there's a period of time when we were nannying them a bunch. I don't know if you remember this, but they were like super like, they were swim lessons, but not just swim lessons. It was like swim school. It was intense. And it was my job to then take the cousins this time to swim school. I was like driving and I was like, okay, this place was like in a neighborhood. Like be, you had to go through like five houses to find it. And I was like, this is like some weird secret agent stuff. And I go back and I take the, the girls in and they're about to swim. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, and like all the instructors, I hope they're not listening to the podcast, but all the, they probably aren't, but um, all the instructors are like building, there's like one and two year olds like building these like mini dangerous Michael Phelps. Like they're like yelling. So like I remember sitting there and there's all these little kids standing at the deep end and the instructor is in the shallow end and just like I'm sitting there and she's just like, dive, dive, and just like yelling, and these kids are just like shaking their knees, and they're like, and you're just like, I was like, oh my, and I was like sitting there, and I was like, this is so intense, like where's the floaties, like where's, like I wouldn't even done it, and so I was like sitting there, and they're just super like scared, and finally they get in, like they jump in, because they're getting yelled at, and they're just like, like drowning, and, and, they're, and you just hear the instructor just like, swim, swim, and I was just like, oh my god, it was just very intense, and it kind of reminded me also of those like kind of like tough guy dads. I don't know if you know the tough guy dads. Anyways, the ones that yeah, I taught my kid how to swim, just threw him in the deep end. He figured it out. It was like, and I'm just like, it reminded me of that. And I was just like, I, I kind of like it because it teaches maybe survival. But I'm also, <laughs> right? But I'm also like, there's also another option of them like drowning. And this is very scary. I, segue time. I share all of that. To say, I feel like sometimes with dreaming with God and our pursuit of our vocation, our calling, I feel like we sometimes look at God that way. That he, he kind of just, hey, here's some dreams and I'm throwing you in the deep end and you got to figure it out and you're just floundering around and you get discouraged. But as you guys know, that's actually not our good father. And I want to get something straight is that I've learned that the Christian life is actually a life in the deep end. It's like jumping all the way in, fully giving yourself everything, but the good news is that he gets in with you. Amen? See, this is my take on it. I've seen that in my life many times when I get discouraged or I've talked to friends, other Christians, they get bummed out. This is kind of maybe a new thought for you, is that we instantly, don't, when we get discouraged, we don't instantly turn into atheists. We don't normally just stop fully believing in God, but this is my kind of look on it. We become situational atheist. I've, this has happened to me a lot of times. So you get in this root of discouragement that's a lie, and you believe that God isn't there. You know, we all know the song that we were raised in singing, like, God's got, what is it? God's got the whole world in his hands? We should probably sing it more. Okay, God's got, next week, God's got the whole world in his hands, right? So we know that song, and we get to the point where it's like, yeah, God, I believe that you have the whole world in your hands. I just don't believe you have this situation in your hands. Or I believe you're there. I see you working there. I just don't believe you're here in my house, in my dream, in my plan. So let me challenge us that we cannot approach any situation without his goodness and without the thought that he isn't with us. Because wherever there is discouragement in the process of life, it's because I'm thinking I'm facing a situation on my own.
But God is saying, yes, you're in the deep end. Yes, this is new territory. Yes, this is a new business idea. Yes, this is a new semester in school. This is all new, and it feels like you're in the deep end, but I'm right next to you. And he wants to fill you with courage in the process. Now, quickly, I want to talk about two things that help fuel courage. So the first one here is how do, how do we position our life? Oh, gosh. I don't know if that's the next slide. Thanks, guys. <laughs> this is me. Hold on, let me find my little spot. Sorry. I'm so glad I edit the podcast. <laughs> let me see here. Santa Maria. Can we open a window? Okay, next slide. Let's try it. Let's, we'll just see what happens here. Okay. Oh, we got it. Oh, the first one. Sorry, that's why. The first one is waiting on the Lord. The second is community. Thanks, guys. I'll be leading worship next week, and Alex, Alex, will, Alex will be back. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay, the second thing to stay fueled and encouraged is community. God gives us courage through people. Once again, isolation is such a killer. The enemy wants you to be alone, and pity parties are such a real thing. Isolation is normally actually the brother of shame, I've found. But I've also found that the community, if you have a community of people that love you, love the presence of God, when you have those people around you, it drives that stuff out and it puts courage back into you. There's something in my life, when my life is connected with other people, that in community, courage starts to come because we start dreaming together and they start speaking in my life. You know, I see in the Bible a lot of stories where God calls people to really big things and then I don't know if you noticed, but then he teams them up with an encourager. So we don't have to turn there right now. I'll just read it to you here. But I think of Jonathan and his arm bearer. In 1 Samuel 14, we see that Jonathan wants to engage in, an arm, in a war with an army of the, with the Philistines, in which God called him to. And God puts his arm bearer with him. And it says, Jonathan then shares to his arm bearer in how he wants to go and engage. And 1 Samuel 14 says that his arm bearer encourages him, saying, Go and do all that you have in your mind. Go ahead. I'm with you heart and soul. Then right after that, Jonathan says, very well, come on then, we'll cross and go towards them. So it was after an encourager spoke into Jonathan's life that he then stepped into what God had on his heart. We see multiple stories of the Bible that are like this. Another one's Moses with Joshua. Joshua was going into the promised land, if you guys remember, and God told Moses in Deuteronomy 3, listen to this, it's super good, here we go. Go commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, and he will lead his people and will cause them to inherit the land that you will see. Encouragement is huge, and in being an encourager to others pushes the kingdom forward in people's lives. I see it in my life with my friends. I know Alex and I, in planting this church with our team, it was like there's constant times of him putting courage into me and me putting courage into him and saying, hey, don't forget the dream. Thrive in the process. And then also pushing friends to the presence. The courage is in the presence. It's a big deal. Discouragement drives us into isolation. It's the opposite of community. If you remember, we first see it in the garden. The fruit in the garden, they eat the fruit of the garden, they run away, they hide, and they get ashamed. I know whenever I'm discouraged, I want to isolate myself. I go introspective. I start throwing my own pity party. And how many of you know a pity party is normally a party of one? Pretty lonely. We start feeling sorry for ourselves. We start getting tired and justifying why we feel the way we do. So in, dis in the midst of discouragement, I have some questions that I think we're going to get real practical. Two questions that I think have really helped me and hopefully they can help you. 
Um, they're kind of, they're eternity questions. I call them that because it's, it, these type of questions are questions that can help in the midst of all you figuring out your dreams and your desires and you're like stressed along the way. These are some questions that have helped me. So in your pity party, you went to Party City, you went to Target, you started buying all the stuff and you're like, I'm, anyways. Ask these questions. One, is this going with me to eternity? And two, is Jesus going to ask me about this one day? Very simple. But Alex and I, we ask questions like this all the time, Very uh, other questions that are very similar. And with our gathering, we sometimes like, like dissect the whole gathering, and then sometimes it just comes to, to the point, it's like, did we do what he said to do? Were we obedient? And did he show up? Yes and yes, then that's success. And these are those type of questions that we can ask ourselves in the same way. Don't get me wrong, my life in ministry up to this point has been amazing. But in all honesty, and maybe you can relate, that when I planned my life, when I was like, I'm still young, but when I thought about my life and thinking the future, it always looked way shinier (laughs) sometimes. It always looked way cooler. It always looked like just different, not bad, but just different. I don't know if you've ever been there. And and in those moments, when I ask these questions, it's good to have this dialect of of either here, there's only two options. Either I messed up along the way, I I was disobedient, or either I messed this whole thing up and God teased me with his goodness, or he would never lie and his goodness is way better than I thought and his timing for me is way better. See, we need a fresh perspective and ask ourselves real raw questions like these. Because here's the deal. For me, I love worship. I love our church. I have a desire for also business out of here and to help people and see people thrive. But I also know in writing this, I, I was reminded, very simple, but one day when I go see Jesus and I ask myself those questions, he's not going to ask me about my worship album sales. He isn't going to ask me about how cool my clothes were. <laughs> He, uh, I don't know if these are, I don't know if these are cool. I think they're cool. Okay. He isn't going to ask how big my house was or how many cows and horses I want those, but how many of those I had. Also, like a reminder for Alex and I, we talk about this all the time. He's not going to come to us and be like, hey, in May 2019, how big was your church? And did you do a big summer event? And did you just, and it's like, those are important things. But if we stop and ask ourselves, is Jesus going to ask me about this? Am I taking this to eternity? Probably not. Then I probably shouldn't be so stressed out about this. Is this helping anyone? Okay. Well, it's our main priority then in the midst of thriving in the process is making love, intimacy, getting his dream for our lives, making that a high priority. He's ultimately going to ask us if we were faithful, if we were obedient, and if we loved well. So since discouragement is really focused on us, we get caught up in being less concerned about focusing on his goodness, bringing him pleasure, and we get more concerned about working on our dreams. Once again, we're mostly discouraged because something we want is not happening. So, sorry if I'm repeating myself, but these are needed reminders. It's about obedience and faithfulness, trusting his goodness in the midst of it all, and being content with making relationship our main priority. I'm not gonna have my emotions connected to those things because those are really don't bring him pleasure. Just like I said before, our church size, if we ever write music, whatever it is, those things he cares about those things but they don't bring him pleasure. Like when I'm stressed out about work or just something and I'm like, God, no, I'm here to die to myself. I surrender, I want you and your plan and your desire and I trust your timing. 
That's what brings him pleasure. So focusing on my soil is what brings him pleasure. And being in the clay, understanding that he's the skillful potter, that he's the one that molds us, and we must be the clay that yields and stays in his hands and surrendered. I mean, I wrote this, and this made me laugh, so it makes you laugh. It was like, when was the last time you ever saw Clay fighting back, telling the potter what to do? Like, Clay doesn't talk. I'm not saying we don't have a voice. I'm just saying I know there's certain times in my life where I'm like, I should actually probably stop complaining and surrender and just love him really well and trust his timing and do what's right in front of me really well and not focus on, the, on what somebody else is building and not, no, God, I want to be obedient and I want to bring to you what you're going to ask me about one day. So to wrap, wrap up here, I want to just quickly talk about patience. Um, hopefully this can help you in, in, in thinking about new ideas, thinking about a new season for your life. Patience is a big deal. It's a fruit of the Spirit. When we feast on him, we get patience. <laughs> so let's feast on him. I get kind of worried um, and I've fallen into this, but I think about social media, I think about American Idol, all these things, just instant gratification. And sometimes I'm just like, you, what we love is those old stories of like where someone started at nothing and they went through the process, right? And I love this idea of how patience allows us to be comfortable and restful on his time and not rush through things on our own. Like how I said, it's a fruit of the spirit. True patience stands on trust. It's not eagerly going throughout life, stressed out and wondering about what's next. It's following his every step and letting him lead no matter how fast or how slow he goes. So my encouragement to you is embrace the season you're in and thrive in it. What the Lord has put in front of you now and just do that well. I want to read this before we go. This is very beautiful. This is in Philippians 4, 4 through 7. This is Paul. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What I love about this is even moving farther down in the chapter, Paul um, says one last thing that is a really good insight on how to thrive in a process and how to have patience. So moving on, he says this, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not, get this, this is so good. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I love that. And even verse 13 there, I know we've all heard that. I can do all things, other trans, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I love that. But I also realized in reading this whole passage that that scripture really also has been pulled out of context a lot. It's, it's, it is a good little encouragement, like a little pick-me-up. I've also heard that phrase a lot in like exercising. Like, oh, you're about to do a marathon? Dude, it's gonna suck, but you can do all things uh, in, through Christ that strengthens you. Like, it, so it's been pulled out to this little pick-me-up. But what I love is what he's saying is it's actually tying into hey, I can thrive in every process. Wherever you find me on this timeline of life, whether you find me in jail or in the palace, 
whether you find me hungry or if I have a feast in front of me, wherever you cut me on this timeline, I'm thriving and loving him well. And I love that. And we're going to be that type of church. We're going to be, right now we're in our beginning stages of just saying, hey, God, even here, it doesn't matter what it looks like in 10 years, we're going to be the same people chasing after your presence. And so my prayer for you guys, maybe let's all stand.